you found this podcast probably because you know a little bit about our ministry called Time of Grace and our passion about connecting people to God through all kinds of media. Well, did you know that we do a lot more besides just television and podcasting? If you check out our website, timeofgrace.org, you're going to find tons of ways to learn about the good news of Jesus, from daily written devotions to daily video devotions, tons of podcasts, blogs, our Bible Basic series called Bible Breath, and books and books and resources and more resources to help you in your walk with God. So if you're interested in any of that, just go to timeofgrace.org. A while back, a thrift store in Denver, Colorado was going through their the latest pile of donated items that they had dropped off when they discovered something they, they had never come across before. They were evaluating an old recliner that somebody had dropped off earlier that day when they thought they heard a sound coming out from inside the recliner. And so the workers told everyone around them to, to be quiet because they thought they had heard something. So everyone quieted down and, and listened really, really carefully. And there it was. Sure enough, the same sound that they had heard earlier. It sounded like a cat meowing <laughs> from inside the recliner. And so they got closer to the recliner and they heard the, the same sound again and they started looking around and they couldn't easily see something so they started pulling the recliner apart and inside the recliner they discovered an orange tabby cat that was stuck inside the recliner. Right at about the same time on the same day in the same city just on the other side of town there was a family that was wondering where its orange tabby cat had gone. <laughs> they, um, they looked in the yard, they looked all around the house, they looked in the normal hiding spots, but they weren't able to find their orange tabby cat. And then it dawned on one of them, maybe, maybe it accidentally got donated <laughs> along with the items that they had dropped off at the, the thrift center across town earlier that day. And so they went across town and they went to the thrift store and they asked them if they happened to see an orange tabby cat anywhere in the pile of donated items that came earlier that day. And thankfully they did. And they were reunited with their cat, which I know doesn't make everyone feel nice, warm, and fuzzy because not everyone is a cat person. But whether or not you are, I bet you can relate to how that cat felt inside that recliner. Desperately wanting to be free, but not being able to do anything about it. And the reason I say that is somewhat related to what has recently become the most popular class at Yale University. Back in April of 2019, there were about 22,000 on-campus and online students enrolled in this one particular class. One year later, it was almost 900,000 students enrolled in this one particular class. A year later, it was over 3 million students online and on-campus enrolled in this one particular class. The class has a nickname. It's called the Happiness Class. The official name of the class is the Science of Well-Being, but its nickname is what everyone knows it by. It's, it's the happiness class. It's a class that teaches you how to be happy, which apparently is something that, at least since 2019, a lot of people have had a hard time feeling. And I don't know what's causing that for you. It could be any number of things, but I do know that People have been hurting for much longer than going back to just 2019. We see it in the Bible. We see it often. I'm going to read a couple of verses from Luke chapter 4. Just listen to how many different people were hurting. And then we're going to point out one significant thing that all of them had in common. It says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a great fever and they asked Jesus to help her. 
So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because he, they knew he was the Messiah. People hurting from sickness, from disease, from demonic oppression, from any number of things. And the one thing that they all had in common was that Jesus was there, right in the middle of all of it, which is exactly where he has always promised to be. When Abraham was looking at an uncertain future, God said to him, I will be with you. When Moses was afraid to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, he said, but I will be with you. When Joshua was about to fill some pretty big sandals, taking over for Moses eventually, God said, don't be afraid, I will be with you. When Jesus was born, one of the names that scripture gave him was Emmanuel, which literally means God, God is with us. And then that little baby grew up and he hung on a cross where he showed you exactly how determined he is to be alongside of us through everything. Even when we and our weakness is the reason that he is the one who's hurting. If he stuck with us through that, he's going to be exactly where he was for all these hurting people that we just read about. He will always be with you, ready to be there for you just as he was for them. We live in a world where, on average, every hour, five children die from abuse and thousands more die from cancer and traffic accidents. We live in a world where, on average, every seven minutes, somebody becomes disabled to the point that they are no longer able to care for themselves. We live in a world where, on average, every 11 minutes, someone is hurting so badly that they come to the conclusion that it's no longer worth living. Not everybody hurts all the time, but we live in a world where hurt is always happening. And if we say that God is good and that God loves us and that God cares, we have to have an answer ready for those who wonder why all these things continue to happen and why God allows all of these things to continue to happen. And the Bible writer Luke, he gives us a place to start anyway. We read this in a previous video, but from Luke chapter 4, just, again, all the individuals who are hurting. Which is, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a great fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Messiah. So a man named Luke wrote that. And you may or may not know that Luke was a doctor. And so as a doctor, he wants us to know as well as possible medically what was going on with this situation. So some of the words that he uses are pretty significant. For example, he says that Simon's mother-in-law had a great fever, not just a fever, but a great fever. And back in those days, there were only two types. There were fevers, and then there were the great fevers, the types of fevers that doctors like Luke could do nothing about. The word suffering 
It's also significant that Luke used there because that word literally means to be like seized by something. It was like this fever had uh, had had like this big old grip on on Simon's mother-in-law, and no matter what she did, no matter how hard she worked, she was not able to get it to release its grip. And it wasn't just the fever that was gripping this person. It was all these other individuals who were gripped by various sicknesses who were so sick and hurting so badly that Luke wants us to know that they needed to be brought to Jesus. They couldn't get there on their own. They were helpless. They couldn't help themselves. They needed a lot of help and able to get there. Luke wants us to know all these things. And Luke also wants us to know that Jesus helped each one of them. Each one of them. He wants us to know that none of these diseases, none of these sicknesses were too big for Jesus. And he wants us to know that Jesus cared about each one of them. He wants us to know that so that anyone today who is feeling greatly gripped or who has ever been greatly gripped by a word or phrase like stage four, cancer, COVID, diabetes, MS, childhood, anything. So that you could be encouraged. And remembering that the same Jesus who cared about each one of these individuals is the same Jesus to whom we pray. And that the same Jesus who was able to release each of them from what was ailing them is the same Jesus who is listening to you today. Luke wants us to know these things so that you don't give up coming to Jesus with hope, with hope for healing. Luke wants us to know that Jesus sees you. And not just you, not just those who are hurting. There are some of you who currently aren't greatly gripped by any kind of disease or sickness or ailment. But you're also in this section. There were, of course, the individuals who brought the sick and the suffering to Jesus. And that wasn't easy either. And you know that too if you've ever been in a position where you are responsible for caring for someone who cannot care for themselves. It's hard. It's tiring. It's exhausting. Even when it's a labor of love, you have to keep going day after day after day. And that Luke records them in here too. It means that Jesus also sees you. He sees your love. He sees your hard work. He sees your labor. And he loves it. But whichever side of that you're on, whether you're the one who's hurting or you're the one who's caring for the hurting, the next time it gets hard, not only remember that Jesus sees you, but maybe take a moment and close your eyes and see Jesus. See God in your mind before time began, thinking about you and inventing you to be unique and beautiful, a special gift to this world that the world was never able to see until it saw you. And then fast forward a little bit in your mind and think forward to the day when, when God carefully and intentionally knit you together in your mother's womb. 
and see him in your mind smiling the whole time because of his perfect delight in you. And then picture him up in heaven after your life got going, paying careful attention to your life and commanding his angels to go exactly where he knew they needed to go in order to be there for you. And then a picture, a picture of course, also seeing him forgive you. See him forgive you for all the times that our physical weaknesses or life hardships reveal our spiritual weaknesses. Picture him loving you. Picture him taking his last breath. Dying with the satisfaction of knowing that he had just loved you forever. Next time you're hurting, See him. See him. And you'll always find healing. In Luke chapter 4, we see a phenomenal day in the ministry of Jesus when Jesus helped everyone. Simon's mother-in-law was sick. He helped her. Uh, other people were sick with various diseases. They were brought to Jesus. Jesus healed them. Jesus helped them. There were uh, those who were possessed by demons. Jesus set them free from their demons. It was a great day. But if you read the next couple verses, it raises some questions. So right after that, it says, At daybreak, so the next day, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. And then, and then he left. He left behind a lot of others who were looking for help. They were looking for healing. And it's not always easy to explain why Jesus does that. For example, I have a friend who, um, who once told me about his brother. When his brother was in his teenage years, one day his, his vision started to go kind of dramatically. So they went to the optometrist to figure out what was going on. And the doctor sat down and gave them some very bad news. He said, well, your optic nerve has been damaged. It's uh, starting to become detached from your eye. And he said, eventually it's going to become entirely detached and you're not going to be able to see. And that's eventually what happened. The optic nerve became completely detached from his eye and, and he went completely blind. And there was, there was no surgery, there was no medicine that could fix that. But his family didn't give up. They, uh, they prayed. They said, dear Jesus, please, uh, we know he can do anything. Please give him his sight back. And they prayed again, and they prayed again, and they prayed again, and they kept praying for quite a while, a very long time, but nothing changed. And after long enough of nothing changing, then the, the young man who, who had lost his vision, well, he no longer prayed. He no longer wanted to. No longer wanted to go to church, no longer wanted to read the Bible. He just had no desire to do those things because he was a little bit upset at God maybe more than a little bit, for letting something like that happen. I mean, there's not only the, the physical pain that comes from losing, losing your sight and your ability to function in life, there's the emotional pain that comes from wondering why God didn't stop that from happening. And then, of course, the additional pain that comes from wondering why he doesn't help you in the way that you're expecting. And so he had an expectation of God, like so many people do. And it's not wrong to have expectations of God. I mean, it's why we pray to God. We expect him to listen and to answer. It's why people go to church. It's why people 
uh, listen to his word and hold on to his promises. God gives us the right to expect good things from God. But if you had asked, uh, if you had asked that young man, what do you expect to happen when you follow Jesus? He would have had some sort of particular answer that, well, it wasn't happening in the way that he was expecting. And again, not wrong to have expectations of God. God gives us the right to do that. But when life hurts, maybe just a little bit more important than asking what we can expect of God. What do we have the right to expect of Jesus is to turn it around and ask, how would God answer that question? Not when it comes to what he should do for us, but what we should do for him. Like, what does God expect of us when life hurts? How does he expect us to react? And, and the section in Luke, Luke chapter 4 actually gives us an answer. You may recall from one of the previous days, devotions that we did, that Jesus was driving out demons. And the demons, he was able to drive them out just, just like that. But he not only drove them out, the demons came out confessing exactly who he was. It's like, this is, this is the Son of God. This is God himself. This is the Messiah. And they wanted everyone to know that. They came out screaming that in front of everyone. And Jesus, shh. He, told, he silenced them. He did not allow them to say that, which seems to be strange. You'd want the whole world, you'd want the whole world to know who Jesus is. But Jesus silenced them in relation to how it was that they knew that. Think about how they knew that Jesus was God. They knew because they saw Jesus as God on the day that God created them. They knew because they saw Jesus. They saw the Son of God as the one who drove them out of heaven on the day that they were kicked out of heaven. They knew because they had seen it with their own eyes. They, they didn't have the ability to confess anything different. It had been proven to them. Which means that when they confessed that Jesus was the Son of God, they weren't, they weren't believing in him. They didn't put their trust or their confidence in him. They weren't living by faith in him. And so Jesus knew that these demons then were a bad example for us because living by faith is how the Bible has always told us to live. Living by faith, believing that God is good even when we don't see anything good happening. Believing that God still cares even when we see God himself walking away in the other direction while I'm crying out to him. Believing that God still loves me even when I don't think that that's possible because of what I've done or who I've been. God always expects us to live by faith. He expected Jeremiah to live by faith when he called him into a ministry that was going to be far too hard for him. He expected Moses to live by faith when he called him to go to Egypt and set his people free. Faith was necessary for them to take those steps forward. Faith was necessary for Abraham when he went out to become the father of many nations. Faith was necessary for the disciples when they saw Jesus hanging on a cross, looking like he wasn't winning at all. It took faith to believe that God was doing exactly what he promised he always would. Winning. And winning with you alongside of him which is exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross that day. He was forgiving us for all of the times that our faith in him has been weak or lacking. He was forgiving us for all the times that we have wanted to be God instead of have to trust in him. He was forgiving us and giving us the right to expect 
that one day we will see it with our own eyes. One day we will see our bodies perfectly healed. One day we will see God's family all together with no tension, no disagreements, no divisions, just one family around the Lamb of the Jesus that we will worship there while we see him with our own eyes. He wanted to give you the right to expect that that day is coming. And you know, every once in a while, God gives somebody a glimpse of something like it before we even get there. A number of years had gone by for my friend's brother. He gave up on God, didn't go to church, didn't care. But then one day he woke up and he could see again. Suddenly, I mean, just opened his eyes and his eyes worked and they thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. Something must have happened. So they went to the doctor to check it out. And, and the doctor did the full evaluation and they came back and he looked a little baffled. He said, the optic nerve is still completely severed. There is no medical explanation for why you are able to see why he still can. But his family knew. That entire time, they did not stop praying. They kept coming to Jesus over and over again and again and again. Not demanding that Jesus do anything for them. But laying the needs of someone they love in front of him and trusting that he would take those needs and deal with them in a way that would best shine the spotlight on who our Jesus always is. Someone who gives you the right to expect the very best from the God you believe in. Do you struggle to find time to connect with God? Well, click here to subscribe to our daily email where we'll make sure that you hear about God's promises, his love, and his amazing word. A while back, I read a story about a woman named Virginia who lives in the state of Virginia. And she was driving one day. She was around Arlington National Cemetery and um, it's the middle of a massive thunderstorm. So massive, so much water that the road began to flood. And she was trying to cross over a street, but the water was too deep. She went into the water and her car stalled and got stuck. She wasn't able to move forward. She wasn't able to move back. She wasn't able to open her door either. The water was too high and it was very, very quickly rising, rising so powerfully that it was causing the car to shake around her, causing her to feel sort of like you and I do when life begins to hurt or when the hurts of life begin to expose the weakness of our confidence in God or, or the weakness of our faith. She felt, she felt weak. And she felt insufficient to be able to handle everything that was happening to her at the moment. But about 45 seconds after that moment, something happened. In front of her was a big charter bus. And the door opened. And out of the charter bus came walking out a group of Marines who had been walking, who had been riding on the charter bus. They noticed that her car had stalled. They noticed that she was in trouble and they came out walking in their full dress uniforms, going through the water, getting soaking wet, ruining the dress uniforms. And they surrounded her car and they began to push and they began to push and they began to push until she was completely safe. And why was she safe? 
Not because suddenly she became sufficient to be able to handle everything that life threw at her, but because the help that she received was sufficient. Just like the help that you received is sufficient to handle everything that life throws at you. Everything that Jesus did was for your benefit. Scripture says that over and over again and again. It was for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for all people, for the whole world. Scripture says it in so many different ways. And he was better than us in every category of life so that you wouldn't have to feel the pressure that comes with believing that you have to be. He was sufficient for us so that like Virginia in Virginia, we could be insufficient and still saved. Or weak in faith and still forgiven. Not at all like Jesus, and yet having something very important in common with him. The book of Hebrews talks about what that one thing is. In chapter 2, when it says, both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, he forgave us. By his sacrifice, he made us holy. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And so Jesus is not ashamed to call them, get this, brothers and sisters. Which means that we and Jesus, we have the same Father. The one who, because of everything Jesus did, will always treat you with the same love and care and appreciation and delight as he treated Jesus, our brother. We have the same Father, the one whose hands your life has always been in, the one who sent a Savior to take all the pressure off of your shoulders so that you wouldn't have to live every day wondering if God loves you, so that you could look at the cross every day and know without a doubt that he already did and that he always does. We have the same Father who accepted Jesus' sacrifice and pulled him out of the tomb on Easter morning as the guarantee that this is Jesus one day rose above everything that drags us down in this world. One day you will too. Though we are insufficient, though we are weak, we are still saved because we still belong to him. A while back, I saw a news story about a man named Jonathan who was driving with his teenage daughter over a bridge when they were involved in a pretty serious five-car accident. After the accident, Jonathan saw that he was okay, looked over at his teenage daughter, saw that she was okay, and after he saw that they were both okay, decided to get out of the vehicle to see if anyone else needed help. He very quickly noticed that there was a woman by the edge of the, um, edge of the railing on the bridge, which was going over a body of water, and she was very distressed. He went over to her and she said that her child was in a car seat in their vehicle and when they were involved in the accident, the car seat was thrown from the vehicle 30 feet down to the water beneath. And sure enough, he looked over the side of the bridge and he saw the car seat, but the child wasn't in it. The child had come free from the car seat and was floating face down in the water. 
Jonathan is afraid of heights. But when he looked around and he saw that nobody else was coming, he decided to jump over the edge of that bridge 30 feet down into the water and go after the child. Swam to the child, put the child over his shoulder, started patting the child on the back until the child started coughing, brought her to shore where an ambulance was waiting and saved her. That little child has a future now. Why? Because someone was willing to jump into the place of her pain. No matter the cost, no matter the risk, no matter what it might possibly cost him. Just like Jesus was for you. Listen to these words from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 27 tells us that on the day Jesus died, they spit on him. And they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And then they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And that's significant, that he refused to drink what they were giving him because he was so thirsty. And why did he refuse to drink it? Because he knew exactly what it was. That particular drink was a drink that was meant to numb the pain so that you wouldn't have to feel everything that was coming your way. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he refused it. He refused it because he wanted to give us something to say to anybody who asks, where in the world is God when we are going through our pain? Where in the world is God when we are hurting? He wanted to give us the ability to say, he's right here in the middle of our pain willing to jump into every bit of it, not wanting to be numbed from any of it, because he really did want to give you a friend who knows how it feels to be you, who really knows how it feels to hurt, and who sympathizes with you and really was determined to do whatever it would take, no matter what it would cost him, to give you a future too. And now that's what you have. You have a future where there is no more death, or crying, or pain, and where God himself will wipe every last tear from your eyes. You have a future, and no one and no thing can take it away from you. It's a future Jesus has already given.